Welcome to Rise from the Ashes. Our podcast looks at various issues for families. We'll be talking with attorneys about personal and legal concerns having to do with divorce, custody, and parenting time. There are also a few topics about letting go, moving on, and new beginnings. Please keep in mind this podcast is only to inform and help to understand legal and personal issues as they relate to family law. It should not be considered as a replacement for a qualified family law attorney. When in doubt, please contact a professional. Rise from the ashes, focusing on matters of the family, because family matters. Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Rise from the Ashes. I'm David Braddock, and I'll be your host for the podcast. And we're talking today with our favorite senior attorney at Mundahl Law, Susan Mundahl. How are you doing today, Susan? I am well, David. Today, we're going to be talking about restraining orders. Maybe you can tell us what those are. Certainly. In Minnesota, there's three different ways that you can get a type of restraining order. There are orders for protection. There are harassment restraining orders. And then there's domestic abuse, no contact orders that people call dankos. Okay. Why are we talking about these today, Susan? Well, because everyone gets them confused and people will call in and they'll say, I need a restraining order when what they need is an order for protection. Or they say they have a Danko when what they have is an order for protection or sometimes even a harassment restraining order. The point I want to make is that they're each a separate statute and they have different consequences and they are not interchangeable. So you have to have certain requirements to get each one. So I just wanted to go into each of those today to really have people understand the differences between them and what they can each do. Perhaps we should talk about each one separately. Great idea. Let's start with orders for protection. Tell us about that one. Orders for protection are brought under Minnesota Statute 518B.01. It is a civil statute, but it is only used in those situations where, number one, the parties have to be in relationship to each other. It can't just be you and your neighbor. That's the first step. What you have to prove, there has to be an act of domestic abuse that's committed against one family member or household member. It's either actual physical harm to the person, or it can be infliction of fear, but it has to be of imminent physical harm, bodily injury, or assault, or terroristic threats. And those are identified in statute as to what that is. But if someone says, stop that or else, that may not be enough to be considered a terroristic threat. Or if it says, stop that, or I've got a gun and I'm going to take it to you, that's a terroristic threat. That's a fear of imminent bodily harm. But that is particular to this order for protection in order to get that. Those parameters sound very specific. They are. You can only get an order for protection under very small circumstances. Shall we talk about the next one, the harassment restraining order? Yes. Now, harassment restraining orders, interestingly enough, fall under a part of the criminal statutes. And the main statute for it is Minnesota Statute 609.748. That's a little more broad in scope. You can have a single incident of things like 
a single incident of harassment. It's under various sections or non-consensual dissemination of private sexual images or other repeated incidences of intrusive or unwanted acts, words, or gestures. But with the repeated acts, there has to be a substantial adverse effect or intended to have a substantial adverse effect on the safety, security, or privacy of another. And that is regardless of the relationship. So this is one that neighbors can bring against each other. It is more general in nature and supposed to cover broader circumstances. The way you describe this one, it sounds like it could include stalking or if someone is sending a lot of unwanted text messages, that sort of thing. Is that correct? That's right. In fact, it could even be that someone continues to disseminate on Facebook terrible things about you because it goes to the intent on the other person to create this, what's called the substantial adverse effect on the safety, security, or privacy of another person. So think about if someone's putting a whole bunch of stuff out on Facebook about you. As I say, it is intended to be very broad, and it looks more at the privacy interests of the victim. Now, there's a third one that you labeled, the domestic abuse no contact order. Can you clarify what that is exactly? Right. And again, you know, you keep hearing this word DANCO. DANCO is just the acronym for domestic abuse no contact order. You know, it is as simple as that. The only time you see a DANCO issued is when someone has been preliminarily charged with a crime, usually a crime against another person, such as domestic assault. These are the conditions for the release of that person. And it basically only covers that time period after they're charged and the final decision of the court. And so it is limited in its scope. That is Minnesota Statute 629.75. And again, the point I want to make about this is that Danko's really only apply when you have someone who has been charged and they want to get out of jail. That's when you see these used mostly. But it can also be a part of their probation after they've been convicted. But that's the only time that a Danko applies. So just that they have no contact with the person that they're being charged for. Is that correct? That's right. If we could, it would be nice to clarify who are the people that can actually bring each one of these different orders to the court to request some kind of relief. So let's go to the order for protection. How is that one brought? Who can bring it? Right. In essence, there has to be a relationship between the parties. It can be a family member. That's an easy one. But it can also be a domestic partner or even someone living in your home. It has to have this idea of a relationship with the person. It can't just be neighbor to neighbor. So that's an important distinction. For the order for protection. How about the harassment restraining order? Who can bring that one? How is that brought? As I said, that's the most broad. So literally anyone can bring it against anyone else. Neighbors can bring it against neighbors. Domestic partners can bring it against each other if the allegation doesn't rise to that level of imminent harm, but it is harassing. Let's say what your domestic partner is doing is those text messages. Now, I had a case where there was 120 text messages within the hour, and we brought a harassment restraining order. In those text messages, there were no allegations of harm to the other person, so it wasn't appropriate to bring the order for protection. How about the Danko? 
who can bring that? How does that work exactly? Right. That one is more restrictive. Literally, it's the state of Minnesota that brings it because all criminal actions are brought by the state of Minnesota, whether it's a county attorney, a city attorney, or a attorney general that brings it. They're the only ones that can request of the court. It's intended to be release conditions in order for the person to get out of jail and stay out of jail, is that there's no contact with the victim. And because these are Minnesota statutes, you're saying that that would have to be in the state of Minnesota, that the Danko could be brought. That's true, David. But I will tell you that most states have very similar laws, but you're right. Today, we're talking about Minnesota law. Well, now, you said that these uh, different kinds of uh, restraining orders are not interchangeable. So maybe we can look at the different types of relief that are available under each one. Let's go back to the order for protection once again. How can that be relieved by the court? Okay, so the relief available is actually pretty broad. And in fact, they call it the poor woman's temporary relief. Because what it can do is it orders no contact, number one, between the parties. But then it can also say that you can't go to that person's home or you can't go to their place of employment. So it can set out exclusion parameters around the victim that the abusing party cannot cross. And it also includes that no contact in person or by letter or email or third parties. So it can be very restrictive in order to really provide a safe zone for the victim of this domestic violence, basically. But it is a civil statute, and I think that's also an important piece to this. That's, in essence, what you're looking for when you're looking at an order for protection. What is a form of relief for an OFP? An OFP actually has really broad relief, and it's designed to provide safety for the victim. And so you can have, number one, the abuser can't do acts of domestic violence, but then it also is no contact with the person, but it can also include the minor children if there's minor children. It can include a zone of protection so that they have to stay away from their home and their place of employment, and also the children's school if the children are a part of this. But then it can also include restitution, it can set child support, it can set up parenting plans for the parties, it can provide that the respondent has to do counseling, and it can provide protection even for the family pets. So it is really broad in its relief. The court has a lot of discretion. The idea being that acts of violence are really bad, and so we want to provide this zone of safety. But again, the distinguishing part of OFP order for protection is that it is a civil action, but the violations of it now turn it into a criminal action. And the more often it's violated, the more it moves from misdemeanor to gross misdemeanor to felony. So whatever those parameters are, according to the order itself, if they're violated by the person that the order is designed to protect from, Mm -hmm. they can become a criminal action against them if they're not careful. That's correct. 
So it is really powerful. Well, that's really clear about the OFP. What about the HRO or the Harassment Restraining Order? What are the types of relief that are available for that? It's kind of interesting because anyone can bring it and it's intended to be more broad. It basically says, well, you can't harass the other person, but it does not set any of these exclusionary boundaries other than it can provide for no contact with the person. It really doesn't have a lot of relief that's available. It just says you can't harass the other person. And if you do harass the other person and that person calls the police, again, it now is a criminal action and you can be charged with a misdemeanor up to a felony for the repeated acts. For violating the parameters of the HRO. That's right. I see. And then the Danko, what kinds of relief are available for the domestic abuse no contact order? Well, again, because this is essentially a get out of jail free card, if they violate it, they're going to go to jail generally. But the no contact, the provisions for it is, again, to provide a zone of safety for the victim of domestic violence. And so it can include those exclusions to home, work, school, those things. Similar to the OFP. That's correct. But it can also include GPS monitoring. Oh, the proverbial cuff on the ankle type that's, of thing. That's right. Uh, yes. I see. And it clearly is you're already in a criminal action. That's the way to think of it. And so if you violate it, you're going to find your freedom is going to be limited. Right away. That's right. Well, let's talk about process for these orders. How do you apply? Say that you're having trouble with a certain family member or your spouse or something. How does a person apply to get a restraining order? Well, are they looking for an order for protection or a harassment restraining order? Because the form you're going to ask for is different. You really should have some familiarity with the statutes. Again, 518B controls orders for protection and 609.748 controls harassment restraining orders. And you can just think of, was there fear of imminent bodily harm or actual bodily harm, in which case an order for protection is necessary, or is it just unwanted action? of harassment. And then you want to look at that. You can go to the self-help website. It's under the Minnesota Justice Center. So I always Google myself. I go self-help forms. There is also a self-help center. There are actually volunteers, volunteer attorneys and law students that will help you fill out forms, although they can't give you legal advice. But essentially, you can do it yourself. And in fact, most people choose to. A lot of people don't get attorneys for these matters. That's what I was going to ask. Is it necessary to get an attorney? It sounds like it's not. A lot of folks try and do it themselves. It just depends on the person. Are they savvy enough? Can they understand the laws? And if they need assistance and they don't understand, then certainly having a consultation with attorney, even if it's just a consultation, can sometimes give them enough information so they can handle it themselves. And certainly if the respondent the person who you're accusing of having done these unwanted acts gets an attorney, then most petitioners then want an attorney also. It sounds like that perhaps at the self-help center, if a person is very clear about 
what they're concerned about, they may be able to get help just in filling out a form at a self-help center from one of those volunteers that you said may be able to assist? Yes. It's just that, remember, they're not giving you legal advice. And so if you need legal advice, you should be having a conversation with an attorney. Another advantage an attorney can give you in these matters is that we know rules of evidence. You are talking about going to a court hearing and having to prove. You have the burden of proof to show that these were unwanted acts, whether it is harassment or whether it is domestic violence. That is where an attorney can help you. It's just that most people don't want to spend the money, quite frankly. Certainly, can an attorney do a better job? If it's an experienced family law attorney who's worked in this area, then yes, they probably can do as good a job or better than you. That describes the process for the order for protection and the harassment restraining order. What about applying for the Danko? It sounds like that might require an attorney or Well, actually, again, the Danko, what's already happened is that if you're the victim of it, unfortunately, you have very little say in what's going on. You've got a police officer who's gone in charge to this person and has involved the county attorney's office. And so the only input a victim gets is if the county attorney is willing to listen to the victim. Now, a lot of county attorney's office, they have victim advocates. So they will certainly ask the victim, what they believe they need for restitution or to be made whole. But in the end, the county attorney has full discretion to do what they want in that situation. And unfortunately, that's the downfall of the Danko for the victim is that you have to rely on a good county attorney to see that you can get the relief you're requesting and someone willing to meet your safety concerns. Is a judge able to assist in those situations where a victim may express a great deal of concern. In the case of a Danko, will the judge be able to recommend something like that? How does that work, the judge's role? It's my understanding that victims can do letters to the court, and certainly at the time of sentencing, a victim can do a letter to the court requesting it. But at the end of the day, that is a part of the criminal justice system. It really depends on the prosecutor and on the judge and on a jury, possibly all of those people making those decisions. All right, so the Danko specifically refers to situations where the criminal justice system is involved. Let's go back to the OFP or the HRO. The order for protection specifically, what if there is an emergency expressed by a victim of what they are calling the imminent harm? Does a judge have to be there? How does that work? Well, that's a good question, David. What you've done is you've brought your initial petition and you're requesting relief from the court. And you can say that an emergency exists and that you are frightened, in which case you can request that the court issue an ex parte order. Now, an ex parte just means one-sided. So a judge can actually issue an order without notice to the other party. And it is only intended to be for a very short period of time until there is a full hearing in the matter and the judge can decide on the merits. So the ex parte, the one-sided, it's one-sided for the victim so that they can get immediately protected, but then the judge wants to make sure that things are always two-sided. That's what the hearing is for. 
That's correct, David. And it is for orders for protection, and it is also in harassment restraining orders. You just don't see it as often in harassment restraining orders, the courts granting this ex parte relief. Generally, I would say that if the court believes it's serious enough, and what you're doing is, is you're basically putting a petition together, but you're listing a series of facts. The court assumes those facts to be true, but you better not be making them up and you better not be exaggerating. Because they're going to have to be heard in a hearing, and if you don't have proof by then, then the judge could just dismiss it. Yes. Okay. It is really important, but I do urge people to use caution because I have done some order for protections and harassment restraining orders where I've actually represented the respondent because there were no facts to support their supposition that they were in danger in any way. Why would a person bring a restraining order if there wasn't actual imminent harm? Revenge. Simply said, and it could be someone that is mentally unbalanced. Unfortunately, there are those individuals. What really bothers me is that the whole reason we have all of this, and literally it's been within the last 30 years that we've gotten these protections for victims, is because of the seriousness of domestic violence. I actually am really upset when I see that someone is making false allegations. For purposes today, I just want people to know there are three different types. And if you don't know the difference, you need to learn the difference, I think, before you should bring your action. Wow, Susan, you've really clarified the difference between these three different types of personal restraining orders. Thank you very much. Oh, you bet, David. I hope this helps people. You are listening to Rise from the Ashes, the podcast channel that takes a careful look at all things having to do with legal procedure within the family law process. Rise from the Ashes is sponsored by Mundal Law who specializes in assisting families and individuals through the legal process with respect, dignity, and caring. Mundal Law is dedicated to helping people to solve their legal problems. You can visit the Mundal Law website at mundallaw.com or call to schedule a consultation with one of their qualified family law attorneys. Rise from the ashes, focusing on matters of the family, because family matters.